Online advertising had a difficult birth. It started with a big fantasy. The fantasy was people would want to interact with it. The idea that the same person who is frantically clicking her TV remote to escape from advertising would gleefully click her mouse to interact with it is going to go down as one of the great marketing delusions of all time. Hello and welcome to Silence Please, the podcast where we use topics from Bob Hoffman's book Bad Men to ask what's gone wrong in the digital advertising industry and ask how we can fix it. Online advertising has turned me into a liar. The advertising industry is world famous for bullshit, a reputation that was honestly earned. But bullshit is different from lying. This episode's title is Bullshit. Joining us today to wade through the bullshit of our industry are Digital Media Director at RAP, Jessica Geary, Chief Digital Officer at VCCP Media, Sam Fenton-Elstone, and CEO and founder of Truth, Mary Keane Dawson. Bob Hoffman said, Online advertising has turned me into a liar. What's the difference between bullshit and lying? Jess, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about bullshit? <laughs> so for me, bullshit is the thing you do when you don't want to say, I don't know. When you don't want to say, actually, I don't have an opinion on that. So many people have so many opinions these days on everything, feel they have to wade in on everything. And I feel like bullshit is the kind of, you know, the root to getting to the truth, but in the way of not knowing the actual answer to anything. So I feel like that is the distinction for me, and it's a little bit of that intent issue. Now, have you come with some bullshit examples? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I have many. OK. <laughs> so for me, bullshit is, especially when it comes to media, is in the sort of guise of acronyms. So we love acronyms in this industry. So an example of bullshit that we have in my industry might sound a little bit like this. We need to amp up our CPMs because our ROAS is right down. To amp up our sort of view-through rate and our VTR, we need to actually look at CVR instead. But instead, we're buying it on a CPCVV. So actually, to get that ROAS down, what we'll need to do is actually look at CPMs and CPEs instead. But we're buying it on a CPC model. And that actually means something. So it's not it's not lying, uh, but it's definitely, definitely bullshit. <laughs> so in there is that level of, sort of bullshit acronym that I have to wade through every day. Mary, do you think we've got too many acronyms? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, there is an absolutely horrible language used in media in particular, which is really there to confuse and obfuscate what's actually going on. I mean, what you just said there, I kind of understood because I started off in digital in search and that was like phenomenally poisonous in terms of making language up so people couldn't understand anything that we did. But actually what it was, we were using Excel spreadsheets and spending 18 hours trying to put together an AdWords campaign, but we had to make it sound much more complicated than that but you know and that's kind of how the industry has justified its special place I think by keeping keeping outsiders out. Do you think that's right Sam do you find that uh, jargon heavy meetings take place especially in digital? I think a byproduct from it is that outsiders are kept out but I don't know necessarily if it's a conscious decision I think that in our industry, we are seeking for cause and effect, but it's actually bloody difficult to attribute a single outcome to something that we have perhaps done or haven't done. And that's really difficult when you're sat in a meeting with a client and they say, well, why is this happening? Often it is 
actually, I don't know. Which I think then leads to this kind of bullshit desire and all of these acronyms to try and simplify and explain something that's actually really quite complex, which ends up actually just making it even more complex than it needs to be. But do you think we bullshit to make people feel better? I think we bullshit to make ourselves feel better about the awkwardness of a particular situation to try and get out of that awkwardness. I don't think anyone comes out of it feeling better, ultimately, because I think, actually, it's quite an obvious thing that happens. We just both accept the rules. So both the bullshitter and the bullshitty, if that's a, <laughs> if that's a description, both come away of it quite aware of what's happened, but just like prefer not to talk about it. Now... Can anyone around this table honestly say that they don't bullshit their clients, even if it's a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I would say that I have absolutely been guilty of it. It's partly due to your training and it's partly due to the restrictions of the industry and the technology. I feel like a lot of it is computationally led and until we get to a, a point where we're not bullshitting about computers anymore especially in my role as a digital media director it, it becomes quite difficult not to but instead now I've changed it from that kind of misdirection look over here not over here to more of a storytelling way of taking people on a journey through their campaigns through data even through those acronyms with me and it sounds a little Pollyanna but I find you know as human beings we're all neurologically hardwired for story so the way around the bullshit that I'm finding is taking things like slides away and instead of saying misdirecting them by looking at this and then saying something which is frankly bullshit instead taking them on a journey with me forgetting the slides forgetting the excel spreadsheets for 10 minutes even and taking them on a story with me and i find that is helping ease the bullshit blues very slightly mary what about you you know i mean my entire ethos is to tell the truth and even if you don't like it. Right. And that was a decision I took. You know, it was a moment I had last year where I just looked at what was going on and I thought, this is wrong. Mm. And we've just got to stop doing it. And I put my head above the parapet because by that point I realised I could never work for the big six again. You know, I'm too old, too outspoken. I'll just tell Martin what I think of him. I mean, I, I'm not worried about the consequences of it. And that actually was part of the reason why I decided to become CEO of Truth, not just the founder, because I needed somebody to actually speak out. And to be honest with you, I mean, I've never been more popular in my life. <laughs> and I've been in the industry 31 years this year. So it's quite amazing. And I think... There is a real movement that people want transparency, they want honesty, they want to be paid fairly. So I don't have a problem saying to clients, you're part of the problem. Yeah. You come to us and say, do it for 1.5% and Treasury will look after the rest. Mm. Well, Treasury doesn't look after the rest. Could you explain what that means? Well, with the big clients, I mean, I'm talking global clients, there has been a move, a shift, if you like, to making procurement the, the front of house when it comes to the choice around the agency. And I think that has devalued so much about what we as individuals, as human beings, get into this industry for and why we do it and why we love it and all the passion that we have for it. I, mean, I completely understand Bob's point about we thought we can make people engage with digital. Well, actually, Bob, do you know what? I think when digital first started off, people were very engaged with it. What happened was that we started inventing technologies to burn the client's budget, and that invariably led to hugely repetitive 
annoying, irritating advertising. Then the advent of ad blockers. We just alienated the consumer by abusing the engagement, abusing their data. And now we're in this world where everything that we do is recorded in one shape, form or another. And that's quite scary. Now, to your point about clients' expectations, there's something that Bob says in Bad Men. He says that as long as clients keep pressing them for lower and lower media costs, they'll continue to use programmatic methods for buying crappier and crappier crap. <laughs> Jess, are clients' expectations of us too high? Are we forced to bullshit because if we don't, we won't get the work? I absolutely agree with that from Bob, and it's definitely my experience. It's difficult because, essentially, clients can say as much as they want you know, we want an awareness campaign, we want it big, splashy. At the end of the day, they're going to look at sales. Things that drive sales in a digital space are measured, again, computationally through cost per acquisition, uh, CPA, uh, cost per engagements, cost per completed viewable view, my favourite bullshit acronym. <laughs> the way that we cost it out, we become animated and excited about these new things that come out to clients and say this can drive efficiencies. And it does work to some extent but at what cost and I think that's the hard thing to think about is I don't think clients realize how much of the crappy crappier crappier crap is actually out there mm. and I think that's the one thing that we maybe withhold from clients not necessarily openly tell them if their media is a working and it's working hard and b if it's unnecessary i think that's another thing that he says in the book as well as long as it's right for the agency it's that kind of thing of pulling away from having those conversations if we don't need them and especially if it seems like it's working but essentially what is working in that the only thing that's working is figures on a sheet mm -hmm. and that in comparison to things like brand integrity for instance which is compromised by this amazing ping pong between publisher and advertiser and, and you is much more of a high price to pay than a one pound cost per engagement who cares who cares when it's your brand that's at stake sam has that been your experience with some of your clients they're kind of pushing you towards crappy crappy crap there's so much to pick up on from what you've both just said because, first of all, I think the fact that there's a lack of choice for clients, be it agencies where you've got the holding companies who effectively are all one and the same thing and there's different versions of them. So there's that lack of choice, but also the lack of choice in digital media, be it Facebook and Google owning. There is only so much. So when there is that lack of choice, what is the alternative to the bullshit or to the, the crappier crap? parts of the digital ecosystem than what's already there. I think the second part is there is absolute truth in the fact that clients have been complicit to this in terms of pushing fees or declared fees ever and ever increasingly lower. In terms of the actual the media quality, the thing I always struggle with is that we're always seeking to explain the cause or the effect from the media that we've bought or you know as an industry or the campaign but there's so much we don't know so attribution for example will try to explain a problem which i believe is actually far more complex than it can actually explain because there are so many reasons as to why you engage with a brand your perception of a brand that are completely unexplained and so that i think really also drives the effect in terms of, of trying to justify those sort of media costs on may 25th the gdpr will become law the european union's new data protection legislation. Mary, do you think that the GDPR will help us lessen the incidences of bullshit in our industry? That is a really good question. 
I wish I could see into my crystal ball and give you a definitive answer. It just really depends how it simulates into the mainstream. And I think what we've seen really recently is that there is this awakening taking place around how data is being used. So it's a really interesting time that we're going into. And um, I understand that the government are actually going to put money behind the GDPR campaign. So that is going to be interesting from the point of view of how awareness is raised and you know what the outcome of that could be. But certainly at the moment, I don't think Facebook or Google or or even Amazon are doing themselves a lot of favours because, you know, how are they going to manage GDPR? Mm. Yeah. Jess, I wondered if you thought that GDPR will lead to the death of the cookie. Therefore, we can start bullshitting about the importance of third-party data. <laughs> Do you know what? I hope so. It's about time. Like, programmatic's such a dirty word, isn't it? It really is. Dirty P word. I hope it does because there's other ways that we can do it. There's ways that we can do it better. We don't need to drop a cookie on people to track them. Bob actually makes a great point in the book at the end about you know how to fix it. Do we need to track anyone at all? Do we need this to happen? And do you know what? It, it would make my life a ton easier if we just got rid of programmatic entirely. Um, I think it's a scary thought for clients, but I think I would love to see media just be cleaned up by GDPR. I think it's great. I think Mary touched on it a bit earlier, the ad-blocking conundrum and being the arrogant industry that we are instead of solving it and listening with our human ears and our human empathy instead we just threw a ton of money at it and created anti-ad blocking technology we just piled technology on top of technology and then the government stepped in and said now actually we're going to put a legislation on you and that is how GDPR came about so I'm sort of thrilled about it and sort of terrified at the same time thrilled in the sense that it might stop things like programmatic becoming so out of control you know there's more websites than there are stars in the sky it's difficult to control and in the same sense worried about what the, what that means for my clients and their business and their returns but I think in terms of cleaning it up it will definitely definitely help mm. Now, the three of you, of course, also get bullshitted. Oh, yeah. Sam, as part of your job, you have to be able to tell which ad tech companies, for example, are bullshit and which are legit. Would you say you've developed a bullshit radar? Yeah, I mean, those that invite me onto a podcast about bullshit typically get through the door for a meeting. Um, and those that don't, they, they get discarded straight away. I mean, there are ten a penny companies that will get in touch, I think, on a weekly basis, and the most common word is unique, probably followed by targeting capabilities <laughs> in that very order. It's an interesting one how you cut that, and I think actually GDPR is a reset button for some of those businesses because, to be honest, each of those are a PowerPoint and a website on top of the same strategy and same approach that effectively anybody can do. So there is nothing unique about it, it's just a, a marketing ploy. And with the GDPR and, and the restrictions on what you can do with third-party data and what you can do with tracking and all sorts of different things, they're not going to be able to do that anymore. So from a client perspective, what can be troubling and I've encountered is when some of those uh, suppliers or, or people in the industry somehow circumnavigate it way to a client and then you've got your client coming to you and saying, have you seen this new latest fad or this new latest provider? And at that point you're like, right, well... Yes, I have, but how can I let you down gently so that you don't feel silly and I don't feel silly and we both need to exit this meeting in a way where we can both hold a respect up? How's your bullshit radar, Jess? <laughs> Honed. 
So, yeah, it's. I think I look easily bullshitted because I walk into the room and people are like, no, she's fine, she's, she's easy to bullshit. Look at her, she's five foot nothing. <laughs> but then it's one of those things that the more you hear it, to Sam's point, the more you become attuned to the same phrases, the same routine targeting, and you start to connect the dots. And I think it's something that a lot of suppliers don't realise, that we see a ton of suppliers all the time. You start to connect the dots from, well, that isn't unique. I've heard that before. And then you build up a great array of these kind of bullshit bingo words, phrases that people use in tandem. It's a great drinking game if you're ever really bored with <laughs> music. But um, you sort of build this breadth and this vocabulary up to spot it. And uh, me and my team are great now at saying, I'm sorry, what does that mean? Can you explain that to me? Because if you shut it down that quickly, I think it definitely helps. And you'll be so surprised how many people can't unpick their own bullshit. It's very, really interesting. So I'd say it's it's well honed these days. Good. <laughs> Now, Mary, it was very bold of you to call your company Truth. Yes. You're suggesting the blockchain is a way of bringing transparency mm -hmm. to our industry. Can you explain that? Sure. The way that the blockchain works, I'm just talking blockchain here, I'm not talking cryptocurrency, is that it's set up so that you basically have the actions pre-agreed in a contract. In this case, the ad tech providers that you're going to execute the campaign through. Basically, everyone signs up and has a transparent... You know, they can see what everyone else is earning. And through our blockchain tech, you write each transaction to the blockchain. Now, that can be daily, hourly. It depends on how the actual impression and bid data, the speed at which it's actually written to the blockchain. And therein, you can see what's going on. So it actually allows you, in, in a sense, to just verify what's going on. It's not one authority. It's a group of different ledgers that essentially can see part of it. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle, if you can imagine. Each one of these nodes basically has enough information to offer consensus on the transaction that's been written to the blockchain. So as long as there's 51% consensus, then the campaign just continues. But if there's an anomaly, so for suddenly you see that it's not the Guardian, it's something else that's been redirected or whatever, that will alert the chain and it will stop. The consensus will not happen with that particular ad that you're trying to target. I think most clients understand that because they're dealing with supply chains themselves, that the blockchain actually works in a supply chain environment. That's where it was originally thought up, originally invented for. I mean, the fact that Bitcoin was built on a blockchain was really just a combination of happenstance the financial crisis of 2008 and the fact that a lot of cryptographers, they're cyberpunks and they basically want to live outside of a centralised authority. And it just so happens that as this has emerged, for people like myself, I think we can see that it can be applied to businesses that are too fat, <laughs> too greedy. There's obscurity and fraud taking place and corruption. So this is a really great technology that we can use to clean those things up. Jess, are you excited by the uh, arrival of the blockchain and cryptocurrencies and the impact that they could have on digital advertising? This is what I'm most excited about. I'm hanging every single hope that I have in this industry and continuing being in this industry on it. I really am. And it's exactly to that last point, Mary, of it's the way that we clear this up. I really, truly believe that because there is so much in you know, those 16.4 billion 
dollars in advertising money lost last year in ad fraud alone, an, an extra seven billion in bot fraud. And it's that cleaning up of that middle space and the ledgers and seeing everything working together and spreading that out to become clearer, more concise, more collaborative, which will really make the difference. Sam? I am excited about the blockchain in terms of what it can do for a part of our industry, but it's not the be-all and end-all, I think, for the future of how we improve digital and how we improve advertising experiences because the thing that really gets me I think is this reclamation of your own data and the reclamation of your own attention and the problem is our attention has been commoditized to the extent where we have no control over it mm. and what I kind of see now there are some you know, interesting companies which I think will come into the system alongside the blockchain companies which are around kind of data passports data passports for the individual who can then control who can use their data in a way which is easy for them to manage and which brands can cut in to their attention and which brands can't and you can even then start to talk about oh do you know what sometimes I'd like to be shown new brands or whatever that may be but that control coming back to the individual I think coupled with a transparent ecosystem for the buyers will come together but in actually your point Jess earlier about stories we lost that in digital I think because of targeting and the capabilities of targeting we forgot that actually life's all about narrative life's all about stories and I was at a digital agency before I joined VCCP and we were always about targeting that's what it was and when I came into a media agency for, as a digital guy I rekindled the passion for stories again and I understood how what it takes to tell a great brand story and actually I think we need to rekindle that in digital and I think the only way you can do that is if we revalue people's attention it's not about going backwards here. We absolutely need to move forwards. And I agree with you 100%. I think blockchain is part of the solution. Yeah. I don't think it's the only solution, but it, at the moment, it's a start. It does bring transparency to the programmatic pipes. I think we're living in a really interesting time, and I think that people within the industry, you know, stick with it. I really do believe that we are at a moment in time where we can actually save this and make it much, much better. It's probably going to be a bit of a crisis, but look at how much more the consumer is going to be engaged in the future, and that's the way to look at it. We can't go back, we must go forward. Yeah. Sam, do you believe that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really optimistic time. Something has to change. It is time for something different. And I think there's enough uh, about us as an industry and there's so many talented people in, in the industry that that's inevitable to come. I'm really invigorated by the idea that creativity enters digital in a way that I don't think it has up till now. And when you look at traditional media and, and the power of narrative and the power of creative and how it has driven the performance of media... That coming into digital and how we can utilise the ability to connect with people in places we never could before, right? Because you've always got your phone, you're always connected now. But that doesn't mean connect with them all of the time. That's the key difference. We can connect with them in places we've never done before, but we don't have to. And it's almost that restraint that will drive the impact of it. Jess, how do you feel about things? How are we going to clean things up? I think we just need to keep talking about it, but talk about it in an open way, which gets rid of all of that corporate speak. I feel like at the moment it feels very dark still, but I feel like we're going to get there because we kind of have to. Yes, get tell us how you sometimes feel about working in this industry. Oh, yes. So I feel <laughs> like I'm a classical dancer working at a strip club. <laughs> because, and I'll explain why, <laughs> because I have a love of the craft. And that's what I love. I love digital, I love technology, I love the craft of it, the combination of precision, empathy, human and machine. And I love that. 
And then I have to go and work in a media agency every day. (laughs) (laughs) Which forces you into a position where you can't help but bullshit. So trying to find a way around that and trying to explain it to people in a way that I love it and I'm sorry that we've ruined it for everyone, but we're getting better at it. This brings us to the end of episode three of Silence, Please. Thank you to our brilliant bullshitters, CEO and founder of Truth, Mary Keen Dawson, Digital Media Director at RAP, Jessica Geary, and Chief Digital Officer at VCCP, Sam fenton Aston. A massive thanks to Bob Hoffman for recording extracts from his book, especially for this podcast. This series is produced by Jesse Lawson at Reduce Listening. Our music is by Super Thriller. Next episode. There are over 1 billion websites in the world and two of them own 77% of US ad revenue. Can you guess who they are? Find out next episode where we discuss the duopoly. <laughs>